0: Romania will have a super-electoral year in 2024, with four elections taking place. The country will hold presidential, parliamentary, local and European elections. The implications for media freedom are immense. Romania is currently being governed by a strange coalition of former adversaries, the Social Democrat Party and the Liberals, with the support of the Hungarian Democratic Alliance of Hungarians in Romania, have agreed to form a national unity government in 2024. This agreement followed after an endless row of crises and resignations on the background of a COVID-19 pandemic. While the mainstream parties were bearing the hatchet of war, an outsider voice gained momentum during the pandemic while criticizing what looked like a very opportunistic coalition. The Alliance for the Union of Romanians, our in short, is a right-wing populist and nationalist political party that was founded in September 2019 and gained enough support in the 2020 Romanian local and legislative elections to enter the parliament as the fourth largest party. It is currently the third most popular party in Romania, closely tailing the Liberals. How will the media fare in covering these elections? Although the Romanian media market seems vibrant and diverse, few media outlets are able to generate sufficient cash on their own to afford to be apolitical. Except for a few big television networks and tabloids, most media outlets struggle to fund their work. Local media are highly vulnerable to pressures coming from politicians and political parties, government and municipalities, or local businessmen. In these conditions, advertising money supplied by electoral campaigns can be hard to resist. As the elections approach, we will examine the relationship between the three main political parties in Romania to the mainstream media and social media platforms, and the impact this relationship might have on media freedom. You're listening to the latest episode of the MFRR In Focus, a podcast by the Media Freedom Rapid Response a consortium of press freedom organizations from across Europe. In this episode, we're shining the spotlight on Romania. I'm your host, Dumitritsa Holdis, Central and Eastern Europe Media Support Coordinator at the International Press Institute, which is a partner of the MFRR. Today, we're looking at next year's electoral year in Romania and its implications for media freedom. To discuss this issue, I'm joined by Adina Marinca, a researcher at the Eli Wiesel National Institute for the Study of the Holocaust in Romania and a PhD in Communication. Hi, Adina, and thank you for joining us on this episode of the MFRR In Focus podcast. We really appreciate it. Hi, and thanks for having me. Romania will have a significant electoral year in 2024. With four elections looming, we will see a flurry of reporting on politics in the mainstream media, and not only. While a majority of Romanians still prefer television channels to access news, we have seen in the 2020 parliamentary elections that social media was used by some political organizations to reach the public successfully. Could you tell us briefly how you see this relationship between political parties and the media in Romania? I think, um, I think it would be important to understand how mainstream media and social media are used by the main political actors before we dive deeper into the discussion.
1: I think it's important for us to remember that social media and uh, more specifically Facebook was first used successfully in the 2014 presidential elections when the victory of Klaus Johannes was highly celebrated as a success against the very hated Social Democrat Party, PSD, who was then seen as not only a reminiscence of a corrupt and communist past, but also as having a hegemonic position within uh, post-89 politics. So the social media strategy that brought this victory, which uh, just like in uh, 2020 elections also managed to mobilize a big chunk of the diaspora, it was celebrated especially by the young middle class and the liberals more generally, And networks like Facebook were then still seen through this uh, optimistic eye of their democratizing potential. So what has changed, I think, with the 2020 elections is not so much the role that social media played in how it was wisely and strategically instrumentalized in order to boost electoral success, but rather how society perceived this. Uh, the social media victory of a uh, populist right-wing party with some neo-fascist leanings, and I'm talking about uh, the Alliance for the Union of Romanians, or AUR, was no longer celebrated by uh, the liberal class as a democratic success, but rather it started being seen as a more, more of a democratic failure. Nonetheless, by now, I think it is clear that social media can be a powerful political tool and that, uh, depending on the hands who wield it, it may also look like a double-edged sword. Now, to come back to your question, I would sum up the relation of the political parties with the media as follows. The major parties, the traditional ones, uh, PCD and PNLS, or the Social Democrat Party and the National Liberal Party, tend to have the biggest control, almost a monopoly, over the mainstream media and especially the television channels. This control is exerted either directly or indirectly through different, media mechan- through different me- mechanisms uh, that range from state funding that is directed towards press propaganda on commercial media, to mechanisms like uh, an old and unchanged legislation that allows dominant power in parliament to change the top management of the public service media whenever the power changes. So these control mechanisms are complemented by the increasing precarity in the journalism branch over the years and over the two big crises that uh, have made it increasingly difficult for a branch without strong unions, especially in, uh, in the commercial media sector, to professionalize itself um, and to maintain editorial independence and increase the quality of the content. So this economic precarity consisting also in uh, layoffs and exploitation, because we have seen many cases of media owners not paying their employees for months, these have contributed to subjugating much of the media to political and commercial interests and pressures. And because the big parties have such a dominance over the traditional mainstream media, especially on TV channels, Smaller parties with less financial resources, and especially parties that uh, are self-described as anti-system, like the case of our, they cannot break this monopoly, but rather have to find ways to go around it. And they do that mostly by employing social media, as well as other different uh, online outlets that they can have more control over and that are also much cheaper. In addition, it has been shown that promoting yourself through means like uh, live videos on social media has actually become somewhat of a true populist recipe in the past years all over Europe and beyond. So, social media um, offers a platform for marginal voices to reach relatively wide publics in a rather direct manner without much intermediation, um, like it is the case of the more mainstream media. And this is something that populists uh, really
0: enjoy. I think it's quite important you mentioned the, the level of precarity in, uh, in the media and in journalism, because it's actually related to my next question, which is about money. So uh, the main political parties, the ones who are now in power, the Social Democrats and the Liberals, have been known to spend a considerable amount of money on political advertising before and during uh, electoral campaigns. It has been reported that over 10 million euros have been spent by the Social Democrats and the National Liberals alone in 2022 on political advertising, Most of this advertising is not actually properly signaled as such. So we can expect these sums to increase in the the coming elections. Now, this sounds like a a big amount. So my first question is how significant are these payoffs in the media? I was curious if this is a relation of dependency created by this precarity you mentioned. So is it a very material uh, dependency? So this, you know, we need money to survive type of dependency Or is it rather an institutional dependency of, you know, some media organizations accepting this money because they want to nurture a certain relationship with those in power?
1: Okay, so according to the latest analysis by Expert Forum, in the first half of the year, the political parties spent 58 million lei, which is roughly 12 million euro. Uh, that they spent on press and propaganda, and I quote, because this is how the electoral authority actually calls this category of subsidized expense, press and propaganda. And this uh, 12 million euro represents almost half of the entire public budget allocated to them for electoral purposes, like uh, political consultancy, surveys, personnel, among others. And the overall public grants have indeed increased over the past years, as um, we have seen. Most of the press propaganda money was paid by the two big parties, President Penelé, around uh, four to five million euro each. Interestingly, our officially has not spent any of this public money for press propaganda. Instead, they chose to direct it towards a different kind of PR. They invested the subsidies in buying trucks for a mobile medical caravan campaign that is ongoing, whereby they move throughout the country offering people free medical consultations. Um, I think that this is a strategic image exercise that might in the end do more for the party's image than the usual political advertising. According to the latest media factbook report, At the end of 2022, the media market reached a total net of 655 million euro. TV advertising remained the leading destination of ad money with around uh, 300 million euro, but on a downward trend, while digital advertising has increased to 233 million euro. So regarding your question, to put things in perspective, the political parties paid last year around 20 million euro for press propaganda, which was also uh, almost double from uh, the previous year. And this amounts to approximately 3% of the entire advertising market, which would make political parties a player that is not to be neglected. And that is at the level of the entire market. But if we zoom in at the micro level, at the main beneficiaries of these funds, which are not that many, then we see a much more clear financial dependency. So I think that one could say that a dependency is created both at the material and at the institutional level, and to some extent that they also overlap. And this dependency often leads to a self-censorship of journalists, Such a double economic and institutional dependency I think is most obvious in the case of Tevere, the public television, which is now almost entirely funded by state subsidies and which is also controlled through a legislative mechanism that allows for arbitrary appointments and dismissals of the heads of the institution, making it subject to the whims and the changes of the political power. The problem with the subsidies directed by political parties to the media is that there is a very low transparency regarding the destination of the state money that goes to the press. Uh, The parties finding different mechanisms, like, for example, using intermediary companies to hide who they are paying, despite the fact that they are using public money and should have this kind of transparency. In addition, political advertising is almost never marked as such. So, basically, the reader does not know how to distinguish whether it is political advertising or just regular news coverage. And there are also other ways that political parties and politicians exert political control over the media, sometimes even through being the indirect owners of certain outlets. On the latest Media Pluralism Monitor report for Romania actually assesses very high risks for for media plurality in uh, the sectors of political independence of the media and editorial autonomy. So who owns the different media outlets uh, still remains a problem, especially in regards to digital media and so-called alternative sources that sometimes reach surprisingly high audiences despite not respecting basic rules of journalism concerning um, accuracy of information or verified sources. And such is the case of, uh, for example, Luis Lazarus, Zeus TV, who very often invites and promotes uh, neo-fascist senator Diana Shashaka, and whose Facebook videos can reach up to 1.5 million views. I would also add that um media investigations have shown that the right wing Our Party also promotes itself through an entire network of such websites that are clearly doing sustained propaganda for the party. Uh, independent media have shown the connections of such websites to our despite our leaders denying that they pay them.
0: Speaking of our uh, I know you've written extensively about them and their use of social media. And they are quite a significant political uh, actor at this point, being, I think they're hovering between the second and third place in opinion polls in terms of popularity. And uh, like you mentioned, they're spending a, a fraction of the money available to the so- Social Democrats and the Liber- Liberals for political advertising. Can you also tell us a little bit about the relationship with mainstream media in Romania? That is a very
1: interesting question for the case of Our. Um, so first, like any other self-declared anti-system party, Our has been vocal in criticizing the mainstream media for being politically controlled and has uh, victimized itself for not having access to it. However, our leader, George Simeon, has been given platform quite a few times by certain more friendly televisions like RTV or B1 TV. The former, RTV, has been known and multiple times sanctioned for its conspiracist coverage, for misinformation, and for right-wing hateful coverage against so-called neo-Marxists, allegedly controlled by George Soros. Which we know by now that uh, this is a common, implicitly anti Semitic trope. And the latter, B1 TV, is owned by the businessman and media trust owner Bobby Powonescu, who appeared in the front line with our leaders when they announced their election victory in 2020 and has since made many statements in support of our. This is to say that our is making its way into mainstream media and especially television even if not on the main channels that are still under the influence of the big traditional parties. As for their social media strategy, George Simeon's Facebook page currently has 1.3 million followers, while the party page has under 200,000. And this is very typical to all right-wing populist parties, or most of them, that are driven by uh, supposedly charismatic leaders. Ever since the election campaign, Simeon wisely used his social media profile to publish live videos from his tour around the country, criticizing the political class, sometimes for legitimate reasons, provoking and then victimizing himself in relation to the state's authorities, and especially interacting with the local electorate and their problems. Uh, Simeon kept doing that even after elections, and he is still doing the same in preparation for next year's elections. He's also doing charity and other kinds of, uh, let's say, somewhat grassroots actions that appeal to the public beyond his uh, anti-vax rhetoric and the anti-system criticism. So it's not just that he's uploading content and criticisms, but he's actually actively engaging with people and seemingly doing things for them, like the medical men. And that, I think, adds to his digital success.
0: Thank you. It was very, very comprehensive. And thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us.
1: Thank you as well. And I hope the info is uh, useful for um, our listeners.
0: For a more detailed analysis of our far-right discursive tactics, check out Adina's article titled Whistling to the right publics, ours doublespeak in reaction to anti-Semitism allegations available on ResearchGate. Thanks for listening to this episode of the MFRR in Focus. For more in-depth podcast episodes about the state of press freedom in Europe, Visit the MFRR website or search MFRR in Focus on your podcast apps. The MFRR is co-funded by the European Commission. For more MFRR monitoring, advocacy and reports on Romania, visit www.mfrr.eu.